the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. God brought a child to a woman who had been barren for many years. His name was John. We know him as the Baptist. He was a child sent from God to go before the coming Messiah, the chosen Savior of the world. Then, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, Savior of the world, would be born to Mary, a young woman betrothed to a carpenter in the city of Nazareth. The days came for both John and Jesus to be born. Thirty years have passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Luke. John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, hearing God say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. At the start of Luke chapter 4, we saw Jesus had fasted for forty days and nights, being led of the Spirit into the desert wilderness, seeking God. Satan came to tempt Jesus. Satan had failed with his first attempt at tempting Jesus. Now he will try again, as we pick up with Pastor Will in Luke chapter 4, verse 5. Before Jesus could begin his ministry as the Messiah, God's Spirit led him into the desert. And there he fasted, as we saw last week, spending time in deep communion with his Father. But at the end of that time, when his body was its weakest, the enemy attacked. And in that study last week, in the first few verses of chapter 4 of Luke, uh, we learned uh, who our enemy was, who they are, I should say. It's not just one person or one entity. We learned who our enemy was, and uh, that we shouldn't listen to his lies, and that like Jesus, we, we, can't just, we can't just turn up the worship music or, you know, just, no, 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 I'm not listening. We have to actually confront those lies with the appropriate truth from Scripture. And so in the first temptation that Satan brought to Jesus, we saw that he did exactly that. He showed that he didn't have to defeat Satan as God. He could defeat him as a man who was filled with the Spirit and trusting in, the, in Scripture, trusting in the promise of his Father that man can live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So round one to Jesus. But today the bell rings for round two. So we're going to pick it up in verse five. So we see here in Luke four, five, it says, and the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give to you and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be yours. 
So the second temptation comes, and it starts by Satan showing Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. It says, and the devil taking him up into a high mountain. I don't know if Satan transported Jesus there. I don't know if he has the power to do those things. We don't know his capabilities as an angel completely. The Bible actually has very little to say about those things. Um, however, he can transform himself to appear different than he is. So it's possible he could do that. He could, you know, transport Jesus there immediately. He doesn't, he, angels uh, and and you know, the enemy forces, they don't operate in the same way we do. They don't interact with the world the same way we do. So it's possible he could have just taken him there. Um, it is unlikely that Jesus walked up to the top of a mountain in this condition. We don't know how he got there exactly. The important thing isn't to know that. The important thing is what actually happened there. So when the devil took him into the, a high mountain, it says he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Um, the word showed there means to make known the significance or the character of something. So the devil showed him the significance of all the kingdoms of the world, its character, everything that came with it, you know, in a moment of time. A moment of time there, it means in an instant, in a flash. Whether he was transported there supernaturally or not, this certainly was supernatural. Jesus would not be able to see the entire world from any mountain on earth. Uh, and, and I realize there are those flat earthers out there who try to argue that this is proof that the earth is flat, that Jesus saw all the kingdoms of the world. They f- forget the moment of time part, okay? Okay, he, he, this is not proof that he saw that the earth is flat. This is proof that a supernatural event occurred. If you're a flat earther here, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just saying, please don't try to use scripture like this to say that's true. I don't believe that, um, so don't misquote me there either. Um, but if you believe that, please don't try to use the scripture to show it's true. You make us all look bad, okay? I, I, I'm not saying that in a funny way, by the way. That's a serious way. You make us look bad because you don't understand the scripture. Please don't do that, okay? It happened in a supernatural way in a moment of time. It would be impossible to look in every direction in a flash of time. Uh, so uh, this was a certainly a supernatural event. Now, why does Satan bring him here to show him this in this moment of time? Well, it explains. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give to you and the glory of of them. Satan offers everything that he shows him supernaturally. He offers it all. The word their power refers to the authority to rule, one's jurisdiction or one's control. The glory of it refers to its splendor, its luxury, its beauty. The authority, the opulence, the privilege of all these kingdoms is a significant thing that he shows Jesus on the mountain in a moment of time. Jesus is seeing flashes of, in that moment of time, again, it's a supernatural thing where he sees all the opulence, all the luxury, all the desire that could be fulfilled, all the power that could be in his hands, all the authority he could wield. All of that Satan shows to Jesus. You know, people sometimes will ask me when Jesus, uh, you know, went through the temptation of sexual sin or, or riches or greatness or anything like that. They would say, you know, he can't sympathize with my temptations. Oh, yes, he did go through all those things. In fact, he went through them in a greater way than you'll probably ever face. You will probably never be faced with all the ability to have whatever you want, whenever you want, make people do whatever you want, whenever you want. Most of us will not experience that. Maybe if you're, you know, uh, you know, head of a, uh, of a despotic government, maybe you might experience some of that, but never for every 
government in the world, every kingdom in the world. Jesus experienced it in a greater way than you and I could ever face. Jesus promised him access to whatever he wanted. And so he knows exactly what you're going through. And he knows how to beat it. That's what these verses are about that we've been looking at the last two weeks. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You know, you think internet pornography is tempting? What about this? Any woman you want, whenever you want, you know? Anything you want, any way you want. He has suffered that temptation. And that means he's able to help you in your temptation. But even better, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He beat it. So he can beat it through you too. He can be victorious through you. You don't have to fail in those areas. You can cry out to him. That's good news, right? Oh, you're not awake yet. Now, you might be thinking, I know I was thinking this when I, as a younger Christian, first read this. How could Satan give this power to Jesus? I mean, isn't God in charge? Isn't he sovereign over everything? Well, look at what Satan says. It says here, for that, in other words, the glory and the power of all these kingdoms, that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. The word they're delivered, it means to hand over or to betray. It's in the perfect tense, so it should actually say, for that, this, all the power of, of these kingdoms and all the glory of these kingdoms has been delivered to me. In other words, Satan claims that there was an actual event in the past where this authority was betrayed and it was given to him as a result. There was a betrayal that took place where authority transferred to him and would remain in his hands from that time forward. Now, turn to Genesis chapter 1 with me. First book of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 28. When God created Adam and Eve, he had this to say about that creation. Genesis 1, 28, it says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. That word dominion has the same meaning as the word here for power in Luke chapter 4. Same meaning. It's authority, jurisdiction, control. When Adam sinned, he betrayed that authority. He was not a good governor of all those things. He betrayed it for his own selfishness, for his own desire to get ahead, to be God. And as a result, he forfeited it to Satan. That's why Satan is called the God of this age, the ruler of this present darkness. Jesus, three times in the book of John, calls him the prince of this world, the leader, the authority, the sovereign of this world. That's what Jesus calls him. I didn't make that up. You say, wait a second, how can God be sovereign but Satan be the sovereign of this world? God, in his sovereignty, this is not complicated. God, in his sovereignty, gave that authority to Adam and Eve. He gave it to them, but they betrayed it to the enemy. Okay? We do not live in a fatalistic world where God controls every little thing. All your choices are under his control. We have free moral agency. God created us in his image. He is a free moral agent. He created us in his image as free moral agents. We have the, uh, the choice to choose right or wrong, to please him, to displease him. We have that choice. Now, God seeks to influence our, cho- his, our choice, and if he wants to just all of a sudden take over and make us choose something, he could. 
That's because he's sovereign. But in his sovereignty, he chose not to. He chose to allow us to choose. And because of that, our choices matter. They have consequences. All right? God just doesn't determine how everything's going to be. In his sovereignty, he allowed us to have choices and our choices to have consequences. And that consequence of Adam and Eve's sin resulted in Satan becoming that authority. When Jesus died on the cross for us, the Bible says he took the keys of death and hell from Satan. You might be saying, okay, so that fixes everything, right? Yes and no. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 2 verse 8 says, we do not yet see all things under his feet. We do not see this world. People say, they blame God for, and they call it that, you know, acts of nature. You know, like it's like it's God's fault that God decided I'd like to destroy a few countries with a hurricane, you know. That is not true. That is not true at all. We do not yet see all things under his feet, under his dominion, under his authority. This world is not under Jesus' authority right now. You want to blame somebody for all the violence? Don't blame Jesus because he's not in control. Or he, and then you can't give the counter argument that atheists make and say, well, then I guess he's not God. No, as God, he allowed us to have a choice. And he, he allowed our choices to have consequences. You want to blame somebody? Look here. Look right here. This is the world we chose, and you can blame Adam all you want, but we continue to, to um, reinforce that choice every time we choose to disobey God. You want to blame somebody? Blame the enemy who influences people to make the wrong choices. It's not God's fault. We do not yet see all things under his feet. That won't happen. Things won't be under Jesus' feet until the events of Revelation. That's what the book of Revelation is. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It shows him in all of his glory taking control of what is rightfully his. What he snatched from the enemy, the authority that belongs to him, Satan is just a squatter, you know, and so are we technically, all right? This is his world, but he's going to move in on that which is rightfully his. That's when he's opening the seals. He's claiming that which is rightfully his. He's saying it's mine. And with every judgment, he's moving in and dealing with the, the rebels, until finally it culminates in his return where he sets up his kingdom, where righteousness will cover the earth like waters cover the sea. See, if God is God, you know, he wouldn't allow these things to happen. If God is good, he wouldn't allow these things to happen. There will come a day when his kingdom will come, whether you like it or not. But until that day, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to preach the gospel. We're supposed to occupy till he comes. We're supposed to tell of his coming kingdom, to warn of the coming judgment, to plead with people, to repent and turn to him, to live lives that shine our lights, that men will glorify him. That's our focus now, to be different, to live as his kingdom is alive in me already. Right? All right, somebody's awake. What's interesting about that time of revelation is during that time, Satan's plan will be coming to its fruition too. It's a bad plan, but it's plan. His plan will be coming to fruition too. And he will give all this authority, this authority that he, or he'll attempt to, it won't work, but he will attempt to give all this authority that he offered to Jesus here. He will give it to one man, the Antichrist. And so, you know, I'm inclined to believe that this was, you know, not untrue, because you might be saying, you know, how can this claim be true? I mean, the devil's a liar, right? You know, yes, he is, but... You know, if, if I walk up to you and, and I say, you know, you know, you, you, well, how do I do this? I try not to offend anybody. Difficult being me. If I walk up to you, you know, and I say, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. You know, you're going to look at me and go, you're wacko. Okay. You know, Jesus was already born. You would not believe that lie. What makes a lie 
difficult to resist is when it's got enough truth in it that's hard, right? So, you know, to resist it, well, it sounds good. So I'm inclined to believe that this was the bit of truth to make the temptation more tempting. And so the enemy, when he says this to Jesus, he says, here's how you get it. If you will therefore worship me, all shall be yours. That's what Jesus has to do to get all this. All will be yours. Just got to worship me. That's it. The word worship means to bow down and worship in the sight of someone, to prostrate yourself before them. Now, while the idea of worshiping Satan sounds like an absurdly obvious reveal of his lie to us, please consider the path that the Father and the Spirit have Jesus on. In three years, he's going to be beaten to the point where you couldn't tell he was a human being anymore. He's going to be nailed to a piece of wood where he will die a torturous death. And on top of that, he'll experience the full wrath of judgment for our sin. While that ends in resurrection, exaltation, and everything that Satan is offering Jesus, but the right way, while it ends in that, Satan offers a path that brings exaltation without the suffering. It brings a crown without the cross. Let me ask you, how many times have you nibbled on that lie and taken a different path than the one God's clearly set you on? This path's hard, Lord. My marriage is rough. Going back and getting my degree is rough. Going and asking that person to forgive me, that's rough, Lord. Can't I just ask you to forgive me? And we kind of hope it blows over. Right? We, we, we see God's clear instruction in his word, but then, you know, we, we nibble on that lie that there's a different path, an easier path that we can still kind of accomplish what God wants us to. How many times have you taken a seemingly easier path, even though it involves just a small compromise? How many times have you explained to yourself, oh, but I'll make sure it never gets out of control or I'll be different? That's what Jesus is facing right now. And remember, while Jesus is fully God, he's fighting Satan like you and I would have to as a man. So just as resurrection and reigning seems very far away to us, because that's our promise too, right? Like we're going to rise from the dead. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus, right? Same promise Jesus is facing. But just as it seems very far away when you're in the middle of trials or temptations, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're in an argument with your spouse, I, I imagine the first thought in your mind is, well, I'm going to rise from the dead someday and reign with Jesus. Keep yelling at me, honey. I'm good. I got this, you know. This, this is just, for, this light tribulation, this light affliction is just for a moment. There's a far greater way to glory that shall be revealed in me. Let me have it. You know, that boss, that boss that's just always on you, you know, you're like, I'm so happy you're here today. Give it to me, you know. I'm going to die and rise again. You can't do nothing to me. And when they're in the middle of it, it seems very far away. You're thinking, yeah, I'm going to rise from the dead. This guy's going to kill me for the next 30 years. A slow, torturous death. Maybe it's just me. I'm sure it felt far away for him too. And so that's why Jesus actually gives two answers this time. Look at verse 8. And Jesus answered and said, first, get thee behind me, Satan. And second, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Last week we talked about the importance of confronting the lie. You have to confront the lie. You can't just la, 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 la. You can't just turn up the worship music. You have to say, Satan, that's not true. It is written and then give the truth. You have to confront the lie. But the second thing you have to do you know, is you have to tell the enemy what Jesus did here. 
Jesus said to Satan, he said, I am on God's path and you are in my way. You are an obstacle on God's path. Get out of the way because I will not be deterred. That is such an important part of dealing with temptation. Not talking to the devil, but you, you, know, you, know, you, you know, people say, okay, so Jesus quoted, you hear that all the time. How do you deal, how do you resist the devil? You gotta quote scripture. That's wonderful. You know, okay, so now I'm tempted to have road rage. You know, you can't just start yelling scripture in the car, okay? The, the people next to you will think you still have road rage, okay? You have to make a choice in your heart you know, to do what the scripture says. James 4, 7, it echoes the words of 1 Peter 5, 8, where it says, resist him, the one who's seeking whom may devour you, steadfast in the faith. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, okay? That word resist means to set oneself in opposition to. You have to pick a side. It's Romans six twelve in different words, where it says, uh, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to obey its lusts. You know, it says, reckon yourself to be dead to sin. But then the second choice you have to make is, not only do I not have to be this way, but I choose not to be this way. You have to pick a side. You have to pick a side. You know, when the lie comes or the temptation comes, you know, when, 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 when you know, you and your wife aren't getting along or you and your husband aren't getting along and, and you're tempted to go look at that hunk online, you know, or, 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 or go watch that, you know, romance show on the Hallmark Channel, which shows you knight in shining armor because your husband isn't and you commit emotional adultery. When you're tempted with that, you can't just sit there and go, oh, Lord, save me. You have to pick a side. You have to say, okay, that lie, it's not true. And I'm choosing to do what's true. You have to say, not get thee behind me, Satan, but Lord, I choose not to let sin reign in my life. I don't have to do this, and I choose not to. That's what Jesus did. I have to choose who I'm going to follow. Now, With that choice declared, you take your stand on the appropriate scripture. So let's turn to Deuteronomy 6, because that's the one Jesus quotes here. For he says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6. Jesus, man, he knew the word of God. He, I mean, I know he wrote it, but as a man, he knew the word of God. He he quotes the appropriate scriptures in this situation. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. And the King James Version says, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and you shall swear by his name. But fear, it refers to that reverence, that worship, the idea of that yieldedness to the Lord, that you, you're in awe of him and you follow him. But what's interesting about this chapter is this is the same chapter where in verse 4, the Lord declares that he's only one God. He's the only God. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You guys see that? This is the same chapter where in verse 5, he says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. He's the only one you're supposed to love like that, you know? This is the same chapter where in verse 15, the Lord told Israel, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. So lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth, you should not worship other gods. He's told them that. Whatever Satan offered to Jesus, even if he gave it to Jesus, Jesus would lose it by his disobedience if he took this path because God would have to judge him. Even if he got it, it would be very temporary. You know what's interesting? In verse six of Deuteronomy, all these things God teaches them here. He tell, Moses tells them, and these words which I command you this day, they shall be in your heart. Do you think Israel was successful in that part? No. They didn't hide these words in their heart. We read, we've been going through numbers. We're going to hope to try to finish it up tonight. Uh, but we've been going through numbers, and what did they do time and time again? They disobeyed the Lord. They did not hide these words in their heart. They didn't remember them. They didn't teach them to you know, everyone around them. They didn't, they didn't do that. 
And as a result, they fell into idolatry on numerous occasions. They did indeed worship other gods. And they did indeed experience the judgment of 6.15 here, which says, the anger of the Lord is kindled against you and will destroy you from the face of the earth. Only two people from that generation got to go into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. So Israel didn't do what Deuteronomy 6.6 commanded, and God judged them just as he said he would. Where Israel failed, where all mankind has failed, Jesus here succeeds. Jesus did not need to reveal himself in his full glory to defeat Satan and his traps. Jesus did not need to call down legions of angels to overcome Satan. Jesus beat temptation by simply stating the word of God, bringing truth into the lies that the devil had on display. The same is with us. We only need to be filled with God's Spirit, using the Scriptures, the truth against the lies of our adversary, the devil. Simple man filled with the Holy Spirit is more than enough to fend off against the wiles of the devil and his army. But this presupposes we know the Scriptures. This presupposes we are in prayer and being filled with the Spirit of God. Seek out God wholeheartedly, and the truth shall set us free. We will see victory when we do as Jesus did. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.